Thank you once again to the Craigs for being with us today. We're going to hear them one more time at the end of the service this morning. And also, you might be interested to know that they are working on putting together a CD. And I'm sure if you said something to Dick or Dee that you would be interested in knowing about it when that CD was ready, they'd get the information to you, right? Well, you would be willing to do that, right? They're not proud parents and grandma and grandpa at all. But, uh, well, last week we uh, answered some questions in regard to six-day creation. And uh, did God create the heaven and earth in six days? Created the whole work in six days, didn't he? And it's kind of fitting, I guess, that we go to the other end of the spectrum now, and we, we deal with a question that came in on what will the end times be like? And with that in mind, we move in and we find that in Scripture, indeed, the Word of God ta- does talk about end times. It uses very, the, the Bible uses various terminology. We find that sometimes it talks about the end in uh, the Matthew 28, we get the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus summarizes or, or concludes the Great Commission by saying that he will be with his disciples, how long? Even unto the end of the age. In First Peter chapter uh, 4, verse 7, we read that uh, the end of all things is at hand. And if you go over to Second Peter, and you might turn there with me, Second Peter chapter 3, Starting in verse 10, we read about how things are going to come to an end and have a new beginning. Verse 10, 2 Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the Bible talks about the, the end, the end of all things. It talks also about, in some places, the time of the end. We see that show up particularly in the, uh, in the Old Testament prophets in Daniel. Uh, in particular. Many of his visions and prophecies have already been fulfilled, but uh, there are many of Daniel's prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in the time of the end. We're still looking forward to the fulfillment of those prophecies today. Elsewhere we read in Scripture about the the latter days. Have your Bibles flip back to Isaiah chapter 2, and we read about the latter days. It says starting in in verse 2, Isaiah 2, 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go to the, up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. And shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That last part of that fourth verse, I understand, is inscribed on the United Nations building in New York City. But uh, you know what? The UN is not going to bring in that time. 
uh, we find is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in the latter days and he establishes his kingdom upon this planet that the, the swords will be beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks and then nations will not be in war against each other anymore. We also read in Scripture about the, the last day. That terminology is used. Uh, we read that Jesus in, in John chapter 6 uh, speaks of raising up people in the last day. Uh, over in 2 Timothy 3, we get a glimpse, we'll look at it a little later, of what it's going to be like in the last days. The Bible says that the perilous time shall come in the last days, and we look forward to that. In Hebrews 1, verse 2, we read that uh, God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son. Last days beginning, really, when Jesus came the first time. We find that the uh, when we think about the last times, the last days, the, the, the times that are being referred to are, um, they, they vary somewhat. Uh, for the most part, they, they are connected with the coming of the Messiah. Whether his first coming, and, and, and most of them, many more passages, speak, are speaking about his second coming, when Jesus will come again. The last days began when he came the first time, They'll come to their culmination when he sets up his kingdom on this planet and, and rules over it forever. Uh, most of the references are to his return. One other thing we have to take note of, we think about the, the end times. We're, we're not talking about things just coming crashing down and everything passing out of existence. We do not live in a runaway world that is headed for a crash. Uh, sometimes Hollywood will come up with this theme of the end of the age or the, the end of the world and, and they'll have things like an, an asteroid coming to, to threaten to hit the earth and just make it explode and, and be destroyed or they'll come up with the idea of nuclear war where man basically himself blows up the whole planet through nuclear weapons. That's not the picture we get in Scripture. The picture we get in Scripture is the fact that first of all this is not a runaway world. We have a God who created all things, as we saw last week. We have a God who is still in control of all things. Now, certainly some things are going to disappear, like sin and death and the curse. But this world and all that is in it have been brought into existence by a sovereign creator. And he created everything with a purpose. Folks, we did not just evolve by accident. This life is not, not all about chance and one thing happening after another just, just by chance with no meaning, no purpose. The scriptures teach very clearly that God brought things into existence with a purpose. And his, his purpose involves God living together with redeemed and glorified people in a perfect heavenly kingdom on a recreated earth in which righteousness dwells for all eternity. Now, because of sin, those are not the conditions being experienced today. Take a look around. This is not heaven on earth. And take a look at the scriptures. And the scriptures talk about when we live together with the Lord in that beautiful new creation it's going to be when Christ is ruling on the throne over Israel and the world and really over all creation. We're not going to have those conditions till King Jesus is sitting on the throne. 
And right now, though, we find that God is providentially moving everything towards his purpose. Everything that happens in the world, everything that happens in my life and your life, is all moving toward God's purpose. Things don't happen by accident. We're told in Scripture, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to what? His purpose. God works intentionally. God works on purpose. God has a plan. God has goals. This, this world is moving towards the goals that God has for it. And he's providentially working in everything. That involves his dealings with Israel. That involves the incarnation of Christ, the atonement on the cross of Calvary, the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, he came into the world with a plan. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, well, we find that he said he came to give his life a ransom for many. As he's hanging there on the cross, one of the last things that he shouted is, it is finished. And as we've talked about before, what he's saying here basically could even be translated, mission accomplished. You know, he wasn't just giving a last gasp of, of, of air dying. Rather, he's saying he, he finished the job for which he came into this world to do. We find that uh, God's working providentially today and through the church and really in everything that happens on this planet. And one day, this glorious, eternal, divine kingdom will be established on a renewed earth. Jesus will rule supremely over all, uh, human and angelic uh, life as well, and all evil will be consigned to the lake of fire, and God and man will dwell together intimately and gloriously uh, in righteousness for all of eternity. So that's what the Bible teaches. We find that uh, this matter of the end times is a reality. It's not just a figment of somebody's imagination. It is a reality. And, and we find that when the term end or end times or last days or latter days is used, it can refer to different things. We need to take note of that fact. In fact, uh, uh, when a student says at the end of the school year, as it closes, well, that's the end. You know, he means one thing. When a graduating senior says that, he means a lot more, right? He says that's the end. Well, it's not just the end of the school year. It's the end of his high school career. And then, looking at the other side of the coin, when you get into the end of August and 1st of September, and you say, that's the end. That's the end of vacation. I see Brad, the teacher, agreeing with me on that. Kind of a gloomy look on his face. <laughs> uh, the, the, the end of the school year brings a whole lot more celebration than the end of summer vacation, doesn't it? So, but, but it can have different ideas in mind. It, it means something different for a man retiring from work. Okay, that's the end. Now I can enjoy retirement. It, it, it means something else for a baseball team that doesn't make the playoffs. And we won't mention any at this point. There is still, there is still hope. There is still hope. Uh, we find the same things true in Scripture. And when we find the term end, sometimes it refers to the, the world. Passing away. In 1 John 2, it says in verse 17, The world is passing away and the loss of it. But he who does the, the word of God abides forever. Revelation 21, verses 4 to 5 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. I'm kind of glad that's gone. I'm kind of glad there's going to be an end to that. 
no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to John, Write, for these words are true and faithful. One of these days there will be a whole new order of things ruled over by the Lord Jesus. Now, what a change there's going to be. We find Scripture also speaks, when it talks about the end or last day, it speaks concerning the nation of Israel in some regard. And usually when it speaks about Israel, it, it does speak about the first coming of Jesus, but it's always speaking in connection with the coming of the Messiah, promised throughout those Old Testament passages. Uh, it speaks sometime in the first coming, but many more times to the, the second coming. And as we read about what's going to happen to Israel in the last days, we did a whole study on this several months ago, the plan, the future plans God has for Israel. Uh, we find a number of things show up in Scripture. There's going to be a regathering of the nation after being dispersed for almost 2,000 years. Now, that's in effect. Uh, there's going to be a time of terrible trouble coming for Israel. A lot of times called the tribulation period. Daniel 12, 1 says it's going to be a time of trouble for Israel like there's never been since there was a nation. It'll be a terrible time for them. There will be conflict with a mighty and tyrannical end-time ruler empowered by Satan, who's called in Scripture the Antichrist and the beast. Israel will be attacked by many nations. You go back and read Ezekiel 38 and 39, you read all about that attack, as well as Zechariah and other places. Uh, one of the amazing things that's going to happen with for Israel in the last times, in the last days, during that tribulation period, Israel is going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. There's going to be a national recognition of Jesus. We don't have that now. Individual Jews come to know Christ as Savior. But in the end times, one of the things God's going to do is work in such a way to draw the nation of Israel to himself, and they'll recognize Jesus in truth as their Messiah. They will be rescued when they're attacked by, by all nations. They will be rescued by a returning Messiah king. And then there will be the establishment of a Messiah-ruled worldwide kingdom with Israel at the forefront. That's what God says in store for Israel in the last day. We're not quite there yet, but things are moving towards that, that direction. Uh, concerning the church, it talks about the last days of the church. And one of the things you need to understand, if you're going to interpret Scripture properly, is you need to recognize there's a distinction between Israel and the church. They're not the same. Israel is not the church of the Old Testament, and the church is not New Testament Israel. They are distinct from each other. And what God has in store for the church, which was born in Jerusalem on Pentecost following the death of burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we find that, that Israel's been set aside, and God's worked primarily through the church now for almost 2,000 years. But God has a plan for the church to, to bring the, the church to the accomplishment of its purpose and wrap up his purposes for the church on this earth. And the next thing God has in store for the church is that the catching up of its members out of this world at the end of the church age at an event we commonly call today the rapture. 
going to take place before he begins focusing once again primarily upon Israel during that seven-year tribulation period. Most of the references to the last days in the New Testament have to do with what it will be like for the church at the end of the church age just prior to the rapture. And then one other thing we need to recognize, when we talk about the end, you and I also have an individual end. We may not be here when the rapture takes place. Uh, be nice to be here, wouldn't it? Be nice to be on this earth when the dead in Christ rise first, as the Lord comes down with a shout, the trump of God, and a loud command, and the dead rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Wouldn't that be neat? Well. It'd be great to be part of the church when it goes out with a bang like that. We may or we not, may not be. Could happen today. And then we get to participate in it. But I can assure you of one thing. You and I are all moving toward the end of our lives down here on the earth. We all have an individual end where earthly life comes to an end. It, it's approaching for all of us, and, and, you know, as I get older, it seems like it's coming quicker and quicker and quicker. It could come through death. Our individual end could come through the rapture. But the end for individuals, thank God, is not annihilation. We talk about the end. Primarily, it is a transition. It's a change for us. You know, the Bible says for the believer, if we die and the soul moves out of our body, what happens? What's the Bible say? Absent from the body. What? present with the Lord. That's physical death for the believer. In the book of Psalms, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because he gets to tell us, welcome home. Come out of that veil of tears down there on the earth and, and welcome home. Come and be with me. We got to say goodbye when our loved ones lose us, leave us, but, but God's saying, welcome home. And so we have, each have an individual and now we, we the end for every person, for the believer, is to be with the Lord. For the unbeliever, sadly, is to go to a place of torment. Soul goes to a place of torment and awaits a time when even their bodies will be resurrected to stand before the great white throne of God and face eternal judgment and then be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. So that's our individual end. Now, what if we really aren't in that close to the rapture? What if it really doesn't happen in our lifetime? What's the relevance for all of this? Well, number one, we should recognize there are no signs that have to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church takes place. It's what we might call imminent. It could take place at any time. We ought to not be looking for signs. We ought to be looking for the Savior. I heard one black preacher, he said he wasn't looking for the undertaker, he was looking for the upper taker. You know, the, the rapture could take place at any point. It could, could, could take place before we get out of this service here this morning. Even if I don't preach for a long time, it could take place this morning. Uh, it, it, it could happen. And, but we don't look for signs of it. But there, there are things that, that are kind of evidence that the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ seven years after the rapture at the end of the tribulation period 
may not be that far away. I, I'm not sure about the person that, that, that wrote that question. I don't know who it was. I don't so sure what they were thinking. But when they said, what, were the, what do the end times look like? I, I kind of imagine maybe they're thinking and, and wondering, are we in the last times? Are, are we there yet? How close are we? Are there things that indicate that we're, we're close to the, to the rapture of the church and the, the eventual end of the world? Where are we at when it comes to all that? Well, we find that we don't necessarily see signs, but we may see God setting the stage. In fact, I think there are some good indications of that. There, there are, are five things that, that very clearly are, are part of the tribulation period in, in the future. And, and number one, as you read the events described in, in prophecy about what's going to take place in the tribulation period, one of the things that is clearly, clearly evident is that Israel will be in the land. They must be in the land when these tribulation events take place. They are attacked in the land. We can look at many different Old Testament passages today, as well as some of the new. But I just would mention Ezekiel 37 through 39. Ezekiel 37 is the, the picture there of the dry bones heard the song about the bones being connected to each other. And, and if you go back to Ezekiel 37, it's a picture of dry bones coming together and then eventually coming to life and standing up. That was a picture of Israel. Right now, Israel's like, the, the nation of Israel is like dry bones. Uh, they're, 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 they're dead spiritually, primarily as a nation. Uh, for years, they were were scattered around the nations of the world and didn't even have their own homeland. We find that they've been regathered and they, they've been established again as a nation. You move over to Ezekiel 38 and you find out as the, as, as the nation is in existence, we find they are going to be attacked by a, by a confederacy of nations that are described in that, in that chapter of Scripture. And God's going to rescue them during that time of attack. In chapter 39 talks primarily about the cleanup that's going to take place. After that attack and that defeat for the other nations and victory for Israel, after that all takes place. Israel must be in the land when the, uh, these events take place. It's important for us to recognize that fact. And the amazing thing, we, use, we live in amazing times. And sometimes I don't think we appreciate it. In 70 A.D., Israel was totally defeated by the Romans. And Israel, the, the Jews, were scattered to the nations of the world. And for almost 2,000 years, there was no nation of Israel. You had Polish Jews, and you had American Jews, and you had Russian Jews, and you had English Jews, but, but you didn't have Jews in the nation of Israel. Back in the last part of the 1800s, Jews started to, to trickle back to their homeland in the Middle East. And eventually, in, in 1948, Israel was once again recognized as a nation. For almost 2,000 years, there was no nation of Israel. They didn't have a homeland. It, it's a miracle that God kept them as a distinct people. It's a miracle they've been given a homeland now. And, and today, you can hardly pick up a newspaper or turn on a newscast or go to the Internet for news. Boy, you find something about what's taking place in Israel. 
and said that one author I read said that this this world is in these days it's like a, a thunderstorm with lightning flashing all over the place. Uh, the world's ready to explode with all of that, and it says Israel's the lightning rod. That's true. Amazing thing, Israel exists as a nation. We get to see it today. These are exciting times to see what God has done in regathering his people and keeping them there against immense, immense opposition. Now, let me say, if Israel were driven out of the land tomorrow, that would not destroy biblical prophecy. You know what that would mean? That would just mean God's got to bring them back again. And he could do that. He's done it once, he could do it again. Personally, and I'm not a prophet, personally, I don't think God's going to let them get driven out again. I don't think that's going to happen. It could happen, but it doesn't ruin biblical prophecy if it does happen. We also read in Scripture about part of the end times during the tribulation, there's going to be a revived Roman Empire that's going to be a ten-nation confederacy. And it's going to be the, the, old, the, the nations of the old Roman Empire in, in Western Europe, North Africa, and whatnot. Some of them will be involved in this revived Roman Empire. Daniel talks about it as he gives a prophecy concerning a succession of, of kingdoms and, and empires that had to do with Israel. And if you go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, it, it describes that ten-nation confederacy there as the revived Roman Empire. And uh, one of the things we get to see today is the fact that uh, many students of the Bible and Bible prophecy see a connection between the European Union and the revived Roman Empire. Many of those, those nations in the European Union are, are, have been part of the, the old Roman Empire. There's just one problem with that right now, and that's the fact that there are too many nations in the European Union. There are 28 member nations in the European Union. And this, this confederacy is only going to be ten nations. So whether possibly the European Union will be, will be the, the beginning point of the, the ten-nation confederacy, of course, you know, nations can come and go out of that whatever. But anyway, we, we live in exciting times. We read that also that there will be widespread evil and rejection of the truth uh, that will be intensified in the last time. Turn over, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul gives the warning to Timothy. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's a key text right here in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And we'll stop right there. We read the world's going to get worse. And we see sin getting progressively worse in the world, in our country. And sadly, this passage is talking mainly about religion and professing Christendom. It says these things are going to show up in professing Christendom. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
having a form of godliness, denying the power of it, denying the resurrection power of Christ, denying the inerrancy of Scripture. Now, we, we, we live in, in times when these kind of things are, are showing up. We also read that the global power must be a possibility. In Revelation chapter 11, you read about all the people in the world seeing the, the two witnesses that God's going to raise up, seeing their bodies after they're killed by the Antichrist, seeing them laying in the streets for three and a half days. How in the world could the, could the whole world see something happen in Jerusalem? Well, for years that wasn't possible, was it? Possible now, isn't it? In fact, satellite TVs made it possible to see what's taking place on the other side of the planet the moment that it's happening. Amazing thing. The other thing we find as far as this global power is concerned, in Revelation chapter 13, it describes the fact that the Antichrist is going to have tremendous power. He's going to insist that people take his mark. And if they will not take his mark, and this is worldwide stuff, we're told they will not be able to buy or sell. He's going to have control of commerce. I'll tell you what, with global banking, with uh, cashless societies, things like that, could well be moving right towards that. The other thing to find is that what's going to have to happen in the, the, the last times is people are going to be consumed with the idea of having peace in the Middle East, peace concerning the nation of Israel. In fact, we read that the tribulation period will begin in Daniel chapter 9, with a treaty being signed between Israel and the Antichrist. Folks, these could all be things setting the stage for the tribulation period. And the rapture of the church takes place before the tribulation period begins. We see the stage getting set for there. How close are we to the tribulation period? Are we living in the last days? Well, in one sense, we're sure we are because Christ has already come the first time. But how close are we to the rapture? How close are we to the tribulation period? How close are we to Jesus setting up his kingdom right on this planet? We could be very, very close. Now, how do we respond to that possibility? Well, the first thing is we should be encouraged to be encouraged by that. I say, well, in the last days, things are going to get worse. Things are going to get bad. Why should that encourage you? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, because all these things are, are leading us closer and closer to what the rapture is. It's called our blessed hope, right? For the believer, the rapture is going to be fantastic. Whether we're alive or whether we've died, if we're alive, obviously, wouldn't it be neat to leave this building through the ceiling? today instead of through the doors and see Jesus and loved ones who've gone on before? Oh, that'd be fantastic. And, and if we died, our soul would have been with the Lord. He brings our soul back, resurrects our body to glorified resurrection bodies without bifocals and without cataracts and without cancer and without artificial knees and, and without gray hair. We'll be, have glorified resurrection bodies like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. And if we're getting closer to that, I don't know about you, that's encouraging to me. Isn't that encouraging to you? Getting closer to seeing the Lord. We also want to remain balanced. You know, we, we need to, first of all, avoid date setting. 
when, when, whenever somebody says that the, rap, that the rapture is going to take place and Jesus is going to come back on such and such a date, man, let the red lights come on, let the, the, the flags fly, let the, the whistles blow in warning to you. Because what did Jesus say? He said, no man knows what, the date or the hour when the Lord's coming back. And anybody that says he does is a deceiver. We also need to avoid foolish reactions. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians about the second coming of Christ, some of them went a little wacko, just like people do today sometimes. Uh, some of them quit their jobs. Some of them kind of just wanted to go out and, and, and hang out on a mountaintop in white robes and, and wait for Jesus to come back. And, and Paul's instruction was, hey, Keep doing your work. Keep busy. Uh, don't be busy bodies. You make your lives count. In fact, he says there's some of these characters that quit their jobs, and now the Lord hasn't come back. They're looking for people to take care of. He says, man, if they won't work, they shouldn't eat. So we need to be careful. We don't go, go bonkers on this. Some Christians say, boy, if I thought the rapture was going to take tomorrow, I'd go out and max out all my credit cards. I'm pretty sure that violates a few other scriptural principles. And the Lord would not be pleased with that at all. So we want to make sure we are balanced and don't react foolishly. We should be watching, watching for the Lord to come back. And as we watch, hit that once, would you? We should be watching for the Lord to come back. And as we watch, it's not just sitting in a chair waiting for Jesus to come back, watching for him to come back. Rather, it's actively being busy, serving him. Serving the Lord, sharing the gospel, living for Christ. And we should be prepared when he comes back. We should be ready for the Lord to come back. The Lord gave some parables about being ready. He talked about the, the virgins that were being in, invited to the wedding and how they, they needed to have their lamps trimmed to be ready to go. And some of them were foolish and they weren't prepared. Let me ask you a question. How can we be ready at the exact time that Jesus comes back. How can we be ready for that? I'll tell you. Be ready all the time. Be ready all the time. And you'll be ready at the right time. Be ready. Be ready at any time. We should be motivated. In, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, we read it tells us there that one of these days we're going to see Jesus as he is. We look forward to that. He says, those that have this hope in them purify themselves even as he is pure. So we ought to be motivated to purity. We ought to be motivated to service. What are you doing with your life? Poet wrote a number of years ago, there's only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ is going to last. We ought to be motivated to serve. And in all of this, we should have a sense of urgency for two reasons. First of all, because of the shortness of life. Moses, the psalmist in Psalm 90, writes about the shortness of this life being like a, well, we're like a vapor. doesn't last very long. And in the midst of that, he prays to the Lord. And he says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. We don't know how much time we got left. Any of us do. None of us do. So we need to be ready at all times. We don't have that much time to serve the Lord. We ought to make the time we have count. We also ought to have a sense of urgency because of the nearness of the end time. In fact, let me read a couple of passages from Romans and the book of Hebrews. 
Paul writes to the Roman Christians, says, do this knowing the time. It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night's far spent, the day's at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, and let us walk properly in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. No, it's getting later. It's getting later. Paul said that almost 2,000 years ago. Well, if it was late then, what is it now? If it was close to the coming of the Lord at that point, how much closer are we right now? Nothing's preventing us from seeing Jesus in the next breath. Wow. We find that the author of Hebrews says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you what? See the day approach. What are the last times like? What are the end times like? What do they look like? They look an awful lot like what we're living in right here, right now. I'm not about to set dates. I, have no, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I just know he's coming back sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning. Did you know that? Someplace in the world, it will be between 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning when Jesus comes back in one of the 24 time zones. But I don't know the day. don't know when that's going to take place. Fact of the matter is Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Are you looking forward to that? I hope you are. And here's the key. Are you ready? How do you get ready? Well, you get ready by, first of all, making sure he's your Savior. Making sure you've got that relationship with him where your sins are forgiven and God's your Heavenly Father. And if you've never taken care of that in your life, you need to do it this morning. And as believers, how do we make sure we're ready? Well, we make sure we're investing our lives for Christ and living for him and not for ourselves. We're living for what counts for eternity. We're interested in reaching other people with eternal souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we make sure that we're ready. We're Christ-like in the way that we live our lives and the way that we go through our business. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that we have in Scripture, that Jesus is coming again. We don't know for sure when that's going to be, but Lord, we know that we could very well be extremely close the rapture of the church. People have been saying that for years, but uh, they've been right. We get closer and closer all the time. One of these days, it's actually it's actually going to happen. And we may get to play a part in it as living believers caught out of this world in the twinkling of an eye. And we'll certainly get to play a part of it by being raised a glorified resurrection body. Lord, help us to live our lives accordingly. Help us to make our lives count for Jesus. And everything that we say, everything that we do, glorify yourselves in us, Lord. We pray in the Savior's name. Amen.